I'll tell you what, that's a pretty good sermon right there, I think. But we're going to try, we're going to try to take it just a little bit further. Open your Bibles with me to the uh, 13th chapter of Hebrews. And um, I want to talk to you about your heart, and in particular your spiritual heart. But you know, I have learned some things about um, the physiology of the heart. Uh, back in 2012, I was called, uh, I got a call from my sister, who uh, uh, was uh, one of the primary caregivers for my dad. My dad uh, uh, was 87 years old at the time, and, uh, and he, had had, he had his first heart attack, I think, when he was about 60. And so he, he, was, uh, he was still having heart issues. He had a pacemaker. His heart was 100% paced, meaning that uh, that pacemaker kept his heart beating. If the pacemaker quit, his heart stopped, and he died. He also had a defibrillator on his uh, pacemaker, and so if his heart ever went into an abnormal rhythm, that, that pacemaker would sense that, and then the defibrillator would go off and would shock his heart back into a normal rhythm. And so my sister called me because he was having some uh, difficulties, and he wasn't really willing to do anything for her, and he wanted me to come uh, maybe and talk to him and try to, um, try to get him to do something, you know. Uh, he was not a very... Uh, compliant patient. So I go in, and Dad, um, uh, his pa- his defibrillator had been going off, and uh, and I asked him what it felt like when his defibrillator went off, and he said, "Well, it's like somebody taking a two by four and smacking you across the chest." So you can imagine, here he is, 87 years old. Somebody walks up and smacks him across the chest. I ended up getting him into the cardiologist, and they read the pacemaker, and that thing had gone off 11 times the night before. Right. And so it was just his heart was going into this abnormal rhythm and his and his defibrillator was going off. And so the cardiologist said, but I can't help him. You you need a specialist. And so uh, I I learned something then there. There's all different types of specialty, but there is a electrocardiologist. And that is a a a a heart doctor that specializes in the electrical, uh, you know, pulses of the heart I guess I don't know exactly how to say that but so anyway I got him in to see him and uh, he ended up he wanted to put dad in the hospital dad didn't want to go in the hospital but I finally talked to me it's a long story but anyway uh, he was he was telling us what happened Uh, uh, you know there's there's two different types of arrhythmia or uh, of of an abnormal heartbeat one is uh, the abnormal uh, the abnormality that happens in the upper chamber of the heart it's called uh, atrial fibrillation because you got two chambers up and two chambers down. The two chambers up are the atrium, right and left, and then the uh, ventricula, right? Or I, didn't, I know I didn't say that right, but it's left and right. Okay, and so uh, and so you can have afib, atrium fibrillation, or you can have what's called ventricular tachycardia, which is what Dad had, and so that was an abnormal beating of the lower chambers of the heart now if your upper chambers aren't beating right you can still live with it It, it's it's a dangerous thing there's a lot of different things that can happen and they want to try to fix that if they can but if the lower chamber of your heart doesn't beat right you you, it can kill you you're dead pretty quick and that's why his his defibrillator was going off and so and so they needed to put him in the hospital to to uh you know correct all that but but i got to talking with this electrocardiologist who was willing to you know answer the questions of uh you know an uh well a curious observer, I guess. And uh, so I said, well, how exactly does this work? And so he gave me kind of like a little heart uh, uh, lesson, okay? So in the right atrium, 
you have a little node, everybody does. And that node generates an electrical pulse. Now, evidently, the base of your skull or the base of your uh, brain, I didn't know this. He didn't tell me this. I found this out this morning. The base of your brain sends a message to that node, which generates this electrical pulse. And in each one of the chambers, you have like some pacemaker cells or other little nodes. And that electrical pulse gets passed through your heart from one chamber to the next. And it causes, as that pulse goes in there, it causes the, the muscle of the heart to contract and, and uh, you know, uh, spasm or whatnot and pump. So that is the beating, right? That's the beating. This electrical pulse goes through your heart. And, uh, and what's really interesting about this is, you know, that if you live, you know, to be 80 years old, uh, that electrical uh, pulse, you know, uh, happens billions of times. I, I don't even know exactly how many. Somebody counted up one time, and I, I, I didn't write it down. So, but, I mean, you know, just think about this. As you sit here this morning and, uh, you know, here for the next you know, a little bit of a while, your, your heart is going to continue beating, not anything that you're planning on doing, but just because, you know, this, this, the base of your brain, your, your stem of your brain is telling that little node to generate that electrical pulse, it's going to go through uh, your heart over and over again, and your heart is going to be. It's a fascinating thing. So, so I'm talking to this electrocardiologist, and I said, well, that's just, he's, he explained all this to me. And I said, that's fascinating. Why does it do that? He's like, well, because, you know, no, and I'm like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm just want to know why. why. Why do you think that that happens? I mean, I don't get it, right? Okay, I understand how. So you told me how it works. I want to know the why, why it works. And, you know, um, this, uh, this guy, I don't, honestly don't know if he was a Christian because he didn't, stand around, he didn't stay around too, too much longer after that. But ultimately, he just said, well, that's just the way you were made. It's just the way you're created. Everybody's created that way. And what I heard him say was, well, God is the one who, who put that in there, you know. And it is that electrical pulse that God, I mean, just think about how, and you know, the Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Just think about how incredible that is, right? But God put this, this little node in there that generates this pulse, and it goes through, and it just keeps your heart beating your whole life. And, you know, if it ever messes up, then, you know, you got problems. That, 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 that pulse, that electrical pulse actually establishes the rhythm of your heart. Your heart is established by this little electrical pulse. I just want you to think about that for a second, and now let me ask you a question. Okay, so if you who, if you who are created in the image of God, is each one of us, and we have a physical heart that is kept beating by this electrical pulse that establishes the rhythm of our heart, but we are also spirit, and so we have a spiritual heart as well. What is it that establishes the spiritual rhythm of your heart? Now, now first of all, let me just convince you, or let me just show you that, that you do have a spiritual heart, okay? Because you're creating the image of God. And you know the Bible says that God has a heart? Did you know that? In 1 Samuel, uh, Samuel uh, anoints Saul as king and and God ultimately rejects him and then Samuel goes well who else are we going to get and God said I'm looking for somebody who is a man after my own heart right so God has this heart and it's a heart of love I mean as you know just very 
got, got very beautifully expressed here uh, just a moment ago. I mean, so, so God has his heart. We were created in his image. We're created also with a physical heart, but also with a spiritual heart. And where your physical heart is vital for life. Your spiritual heart is vital as well. In fact, David, the man after God's own heart, evidently taught his son this because Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived in the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23, said, guard your heart above all else. He's speaking to his son now. He's speaking to us. He's saying, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. And he's not talking about the physical heart that is beating in your body right now. He's talking about the spiritual heart that is beating within your spirit. He says, guard it, for it is the source of life. And then he says in uh, Proverbs 27, 19, that as water reflects the face, so the heart reflects the person. And so it is the heart, it is your heart that actually reflects who you are. Jesus is going to come along and say that it is out of the heart that the mouth speaks. What comes out of you is actually going to come from your heart. Here's the problem. We all have a diseased heart spiritually. Now, physical heart disease is, is debilitating and is very, very serious. Spiritual heart disease is a matter of life and death. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? In other words, we all have a heart. We all have a diseased heart. And this disease uh, is a result of our own sin because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And that means dead heart <laughs> because when your heart stops beating, you're dead. And so we all have this diseased heart because of sin. This is the reality that every one of us have. It is incurable, he says. So God has to do something. In fact, we hear David, that man after God's own heart, himself say after he's caught in his sin with Bathsheba, he cries out in Psalm 51. He says, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In other words, God, you do something in my life that I can't do for myself. I can't fix my heart. I can't make it right. It's diseased. It's dead. I need help creating me a clean heart. And God himself said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 26, God says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and when he's when he says heart of flesh he's speaking metaphorically he's talking about your spiritual heart it is a tender heart a soft heart a heart filled with love a heart after god a heart for god this is what beloved this is what it means to be saved what does it mean to be a child of god what does it mean to be a christian it means that god has reached down and he's taken out that old rotten sin-filled heart and he's given you a brand new heart. In other words, God is like the great physician. And he creates a heart transplant. He takes his heart and he puts it within you. He takes that old diseased, sinful heart out and he gives you a new heart. And beloved, this is what it means to be saved. And by the way, this is radical salvation. 
You, when, when you get a new heart, you're going to be different. You cannot be the same. It's not possible to, uh, uh, to have this heart transplant take place within you in which God takes out your old sinful heart and puts in a brand new heart, and then you're just kind of like, okay, well, now I'll just go about doing my, my same old thing. No, you're radically changed. This is what it means to be radically saved. To get a brand new heart from God. And by the way, this is why salvation is from God alone. You can't transplant your own heart. Only God can. And every one of us need a new heart from God. And when we profess faith in Jesus, when we give him his life, when we give him our life, what he does is is he reaches down and he takes that old heart out and he gives you a brand new heart. And that's what it means to be a child of God. It's what it means to be saved. Now, if, if the electrical impulse is, the, is, is what establishes the rhythm of your physical heart, here's the question I want to think about today. What, is, what, what establishes the rhythm of your spiritual heart? What is it that keeps your spiritual heart beating as it ought to be beating in a right way. And by the way, this word establish means to secure, all right, to be, to, to be made stable. And so you don't have arrhythmia or you don't have tachycardia. It's just, it's just a heart that is beating for God. And what establishes a heart for a child of God, the spiritual heart? Well, that's our passage of Scripture this morning. Read along with me, beginning in verse 9. Of Hebrews chapter 13. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be established by what? Say it together, grace. Okay, the electrical impulse establishes your physical heart. What establishes your spiritual heart? Grace, okay? So it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by food regulations. I'll talk about that here in just a minute and what that means. Since those who observe them have not benefited. Verse 10, we have an altar from, who, uh, from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. For the, uh, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace, for we... Do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. What is it that establishes your spiritual heart? The rhythm, the beating of it. Beloved, it is grace. Grace, amazing grace, marvelous grace, matchless grace, whatever you want to say about it. It is grace that establishes your heart. There is nothing else that can do it. Grace, the unmerited favor of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the power of God for us when we deserved something else, the heart of God that is, uh, that is opened for the sinner who is running away from God and doesn't want to have anything to do with God. The power of God for the man or woman who says, I'm too far gone. No, you're not too far gone. Because God's grace is greater than all of our sin. It is the grace of God that establishes the heart for a child of God. 
And this grace comes to us through Jesus Christ in John chapter 1. John is writing about the Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then down in verse 16, he says, Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. This is Jesus we're talking about. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice something here just real quick. The opposite of grace is law. If your heart is not established by grace, it's going to be established by law. One of those two things, we're going to see that here in just a minute. Hang on to that for a minute. But look at what he says here. He says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So here we go. We are saved by grace, and our heart beats by grace. We are saved by grace through faith. The grace of God establishes the heart of a child of God, so that it will beat rightly, so it will beat, uh, uh, continue beating, so it will beat uh, uh, regularly. It establishes, it makes secure our heart. Now, what does this mean? Just real quick, let me give you three things. This is what it means to have a heart established by grace. What does it make secure? Number one, it makes truth secure. A heart that is established by grace a grace is secure in truth. And I wanted to say in the truth, but I want you to know that there is only, there is only truth. And that truth is in Jesus Christ. And we'll see this here in just a minute. But, but look at what it says in verse 9. Before he says established by grace, he said, don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings for it's for it's good for the heart to be established by grace. Now, let's just admit for a second or recognize that there's all different types of teachings out there. A whole lot of people are teaching a whole lot of different things. And it's very easy to get fooled. It's very easy to get carried off in these strange teachings or these false teachings are these things that, uh, that people are saying. And, and this was actually true in New Testament time. There was something during the, uh, uh, during the time that Hebrews was being written that was just beginning to come on the scene. It was something called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was a belief or a teaching that, uh, that there is the material world is evil and the spiritual world is good. And either those two things can't connect. So you're in the, you have a material part and you have a spiritual part and those two things can't be connected. And so live your life any way you want to. You can do whatever because what you do in the material can't touch the spiritual. And really it was just a license to sin. On the other side of that, there were those who said, no, 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 you can't do anything. So you need to be a monk. You need to go be a hermit. You can't really uh, be spiritual because you've got, uh, you've got this material body. So you have to deny it, everything. And so that became something called aesthetic living. And so, and so you had one or two extremes. Either you can do whatever you want or you can't do anything you want, right? And that was this strange teaching. It was taking root. And people were going, yeah, well, that makes sense. And by the way, since God is spirit, he must not could have had anything to do in the physical realm. So Jesus couldn't have been God in the flesh. And that's ultimately where that came to. And so, and so the writer is saying, don't get carried away by these false teachings. And if your heart is established by grace, 
you want because there's a lot of falsehood in this world. There's a lot of things that sound good that people are going to try to draw you in and, uh, and they're going to make you think that they're right, but it's all part of the big lie of the devil. Don't get caught up in that. How do I keep from it? By having my heart or allowing my heart to be established by grace. You know, beloved, we live in a time in which there's all kinds of falsehood out there. You know, you can get on the internet. And you can find just about any kind of teaching. There's all kinds of messed up stuff. I have people come up to me all the time. Brother Greg, I read this. I saw this. on. And we know that if it's on the Internet, it's true, right? I mean, because people aren't going to put, oh, come on. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I've never seen such mess uh, out there. And, pe and people can say anything. And they can make it sound real good. And, and you know what? It's very easy to get drawn into those things. How do you determine the difference between, between truth and the lie? How do you determine the difference if somebody's going to say, well, the Word of God. We're going to stand on the Word of God. Praise God. Do you know that, uh, that people can take the Word of God and twist it around and uh, create a lie out of the Word of God? Let me give you an example. I hadn't been pastor here at, the, at First Baptist Church too long. This is back in uh, 2008 when a group of folks came to me. They, they wanted to see me and sit down and talk to me. They had been studying their Bible. And uh, they had become enamored, this, this uh, group of folks had become enamored with Judaism. And they decided, uh, much to my chagrin and to Paul's chagrin actually, because he actually uh, uh, dealt with this in the book of Galatians. Uh, they decided that really in order to be a good Christian, you, you, had, to, you had to adhere to Judaism. You know, you, you really, you, you had to get that stuff uh, straight. And, and, and the big one was the Sabbath day. Okay, because what's the fifth commandment? You know, the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, right? Isn't that, that's still, the Ten Commandments are still valid, aren't they? Right? And so what day is the Sabbath day? Sabbath day is Saturday, right? So it says, remember the Sabbath day, that's Saturday, keep it holy. So why are we having church on Sunday? I mean, if we're going to obey the commandment, and, and they were able to show me scripture and everything. God, did God ever change the Sabbath day from Saturday to Sunday? No, not in the Bible anywhere. Sabbath day is still Saturday, by the way. I'll admit that. I'll tell you that. That's true. So why are we worshiping on Saturday instead of Sunday? Right? I mean, because, because aren't we going to follow the... I mean, and we're standing on the Word of God here, right? And so I tried to explain to these folks. I got the Bible out and I showed them how Jesus Christ fulfilled the law of God. And right, the Sabbath day didn't change. But now you don't keep the Sabbath by keeping a particular day. You keep the Sabbath by knowing Jesus as your Savior and Lord. We dealt with this in the, in the book of Hebrews. I took them to Hebrews and showed them, look, this is what the Bible says about this. The Sabbath is complete in Christ Jesus. Our rest is in Him. Not in, we're talking spiritually. And, and listen, this is the Word of God. And so we, we worship on Sunday as a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and now we live in him. And that's why we worship on the Sabbath day. We're not violating any law because in Christ the law is fulfilled. Well, Brother Greg, we really like your preaching and everything, like the church, but we're not coming back until we start worshiping on Saturday instead of Sunday. Okay? How do you know the difference 
between truth and the lie when the other person is using the Bible? And the answer is grace. Those folks left because we didn't worship on the right day in their mind. And here's the thing. If you're not established by grace, and remember, there's only one other possibility, and that's the law. If you're established by the law, then by the way, you better be ready to keep every piece of the law, every part of it, not just Sabbath day observance, but everything else. But if you're established by the law, nothing is really ever going to make sense, and nobody's ever going to do right, and you're never going to do right. But when you're established by grace, when your heart beats by the grace of God, when it is God's grace that flows through you, then you understand that law is what pleases God. It's what you do to try to make God happy with you or to keep keep yourself right with him, and you'll never get it right. It'll never work for you because it never worked in the past, and it'll never work for God. But by the grace of God, you stand right before God in Christ Jesus. He is pleased with you. He is happy with you. When a heart is established by grace, right? You know the difference between, or, or the truth becomes, becomes secure in your life, and you don't have to go along somebody else says something, and you go, oh, well, yeah, what about that? Or, no, what about that? And by the way, this is why we continually teach and preach the word of God here, and we rightly divide the word of God, by the grace of God, so that when these false teachers comes up or we find something on the internet where somebody says something different, everybody's, and everybody's always coming up with something new, and they're telling you you got to do this, 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 and this. Wait a minute. What does that have to do with grace? <laughs> what does that have to do with what God has done in my life? You know, it's possible to try to uh, to say it right or to do it right or whatever. And like I said, it's never worked with God. Uh, all the way back in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, the Lord said, these people approach me with the, their speeches and they honor me with lip service. Watch this. Yet their hearts are far from me and human rules. Read the law there. Human rules direct their worship of me. God help us if the law ever takes the place of grace in our worship or in our lives. And legalism is a very subtle thing. It is a very easy thing to fall into because we can look at everybody else and we know they're not doing it right and they're not doing it right and they're not saying it right or whatever. And what I'm saying to you, beloved, is that having a heart established by grace settles these things for you. In fact, watch what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4. And he's talking to God's people who have a heart established by grace. He says, then we will no longer be little children children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching by human cunning and cleverness in the techniques of deceit that is we can take the truth and Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free and remember truth comes through Jesus Christ John 1 16 and 17 and so in Jesus Christ the truth is settled for a child of God it is secure by God's Grace. Beloved, let your heart be established in the grace of God, and you're never going to have a problem with the truth, honestly. Second thing, the grace of God, or, or having a heart established in grace, that is, beats in grace, is going to secure your service. In verses 10, 11, and 12 here, he speaks about an altar and a high priest. 
Now, just real quick, let me, uh, uh, let me just remind you that in the Jewish religion, there were five uh, offerings, uh, sacrifices that people made. And one of them was called a burnt offering. And with the burnt offering, they would uh, bring the sacrificial animal to the altar. The, the animal would be slain. The blood would be poured out around the altar. And then the entire uh, animal would be burnt on the altar. It's called a burnt offering. And the whole thing was offered to God. But then there was something called a sin offering. There was a guilt offering. There was a fellowship or peace offering. And there's also a grain offering. In each one of those offerings... The sacrifice was brought, it was slain, the blood was poured out, some of the fat was burnt on the altar, and then the worshiper received the carcass of the animal back, and he would go, and he would roast it or cook it or whatever, and then his whole family would sit down, and the imagery was you're sitting down with God, because, for example, if you do a sin offering... All right, so you offer the blood and the fat of the animal, you offer it up to God, and then you go back, and now you're at peace with God, you have fellowship with God because your sin has been atoned for. And so now you sit down and you eat this meal, you and God, you and your family. And, and almost everything that, that people, uh, every piece of meat people ate, they would offer that animal up to God first as a sin offering. The blood would be poured out, the fat burned. Then they would take the thing home and, uh, you know, they'd have hamburgers or, or a steak dinner or whatever it was, okay, because they were eating it together. But there was one sin offering in which the animal was not eaten, and that sin offering took place on Rosh Hashanah or the great day of atonement, the one day of the year in which the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And so what would happen is, is they would bring this sin offering. It was a goat, and the law prescribed this, and they would offer this goat as a sacrifice. The high priest would take the blood, and the one time a year he'd go into the Holy of Holies, he would sprinkle the mercy seat, and then he would come out, and then they would take the carcass of that goat, which was a sin offering, and all the other sin offerings would be eaten. This particular sin offering was taken outside and burned as a symbol that our sin now has been completely and totally removed from us, and it was for all the people. And that's what he's talking about here in verse 10, where he says, we have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle don't have a right to eat. Now, who has a right to eat there? Well, look at verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest, that's the sin offering on the day of atonement when the high priest takes the blood into the uh, holy of holies. That sin offering, he says, is burnt outside the camp. They don't eat that. But what about us? He says, therefore, verse 12, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Now, Jesus was, in, in this picture, was a sin offering, and he was offered outside uh, the city because he was not crucified in the city. Golgotha, Skull Hill, the place of the cross, was outside the city. And the writer is just saying, they took the spotless lamb of God and they took him and they put him on an altar and they, they slew him, right? The lamb of God was killed on the cross. And so now the cross becomes the altar for a child of God. When you come to God by faith through Christ Jesus, you come to the cross. You come to that altar. And Jesus is the sin offering. 
And now you begin to eat his, eat his body and drink his blood. This is what in uh, John chapter 6 uh, grossed people out so much. We, we have a picture of this in the Lord's Supper. We are ingesting the sin offering, showing that now we belong to God. Christ in me, me in Christ. Okay? We don't eat at that altar, and, and the altar is the place of service. And so when you come to worship God and to serve God, and when Jewish people come, they would come into the, uh, into the tabernacle or to the temple, and they would offer their altering, and that's, where they would, and that's where they would do it, right? And then they would go eat the offering. That's not what a child of God does. He goes outside the camp where the sin has been removed, but it is removed in Christ Jesus, and it is at that altar that we worship. It is at the cross that a child of God goes and worships and serves, all right? And it is in him that we find our life and our being. And we find here, and we do now, because the sin has been removed. Now watch, watch what, what, what happens here, the difference that, that takes place here. And this is what the writer is talking about here when it says in verse 13, so let us go to him outside the camp bearing his disgrace. When we're going to serve God, we go out to the cross. We go to the cross. That is our place of service. That's our place of worship as a child of God. Outside the camp, not in the tabernacle. What is he talking about here? Well, let me tell you, let me tell you the difference between worshiping inside and worshiping at the, at the altar of the cross. It is the difference in have to and get to. Okay, now watch this. Have to or get to. Why did those people come into the tabernacle with their offerings and offer the blood and everything? Because they had to. That was their worship, right? They had to worship God this way. They had to give it up this way. This is what the law said. You do this, 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 and this, and then you'll be right with God. So they, they had to come in. They had to do it. They were supposed to do it. They did it. Some of them did. Not everybody. They did it. And then, theoretically, they were right with God if they could ever do it exactly right. What about a child of God? Why would you go out to the cross? Why would you go out to the place of the skull and worship there? Because that's where life is. And that's what you get to do, right? You don't go out there because you have to. You go out there because you get to. Let, let me just help, help you explain, help, uh, help us to understand this difference here. And let me ask you a question. Why, why, what are you doing here today? Why did you come to church today? And, and, you know, maybe some of you put some money in the offering plate or you give, you know, through the, uh, you know, through the Shelby app or you mail it in or however. Why did you do that? Why do you give? Why do you give money to the Lord? Because you have to. Because that's what you're supposed to do. Because that's my religion. That's my worship. I mean, let's just be honest about this for a second, okay, folks? And, and I, I get this, all right. And I, I'm excited about being in church. I know not everybody is. I know not everybody likes to come to church. I know that some of us in this room this morning are sitting here bored out of our gourd. Some of us are sitting here wondering, why, why can't that guy just shut up so we can get out of here, right? I mean, you know, there's going to be a football game on later, or I want to go get something to eat, or whatever it is. I mean, we just can't get it, man. I, I mean, just, just be quiet. I mean, because we're just, I mean, this is dull, lifeless religion. Why am I here? Because that's what I'm supposed to do. Somebody told me I was supposed to. I come because that's what, you know, somebody made me come, or, or this is my religion. This is what I do. Why do I give? Because I'm supposed to. I mean, that's what God says, what the Bible says, right? Why do I serve in any way? 
Why would I get involved in something like the passion play? Well, because, you know, they beg and that's, why would I want to sing in the choir? Why would I want to go out to the prison and, and, uh, and uh, you know, minister to, uh, to those men in white out there? Why would I want to do anything? Well, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's my religion, right? So that's what, beloved, that, that is the attitude of a heart established by law. I'm supposed to do it, so that's why I did it. Let me tell you the difference between a heart established by the law and a heart established by grace. A heart established by grace says, man, I get to. I can't wait to gather with the body of Christ and sing these songs of praise, man. I guarantee you, and I love watching uh, these members of the choir there who are just, and I don't get to see everybody out here, but I've stood up here before and I've seen some of us, you know, and we, we talked about, a guy talked about this yesterday in, in uh, the Inspire the Choir that the choir went to. You know, there, there are some of us just sat there, and man, we're just, I don't know. Man, I, you know, we just can't get into the music because it's not the right kind or it's not the right song or whatever it is. I don't know, man. But when we're singing about uh, uh, the name of Jesus, you know, the one who died for me, how in the world can I sit there and go, oh. I don't know. I, I don't understand how it takes place, right? Except it's the difference between grace. If I understand grace... And my heart is beating by that, by that grace, man. It is not a chore to get up on Sunday. I can't wait to get to church on Sunday. I can't wait. I get to participate in the work of God by giving my tithes and offerings. Nobody has to force me to do that. Nobody's got to tell me to do that. I, it's a joy in my life to do that. Nobody has to tell me that, that I need to be involved in, in different aspects of the ministry of the church, whatever that is. Or, and maybe I don't get in, maybe I don't get all, maybe all that stuff is not mine. But I'm going to find something, man, because I want to serve the living king, man. It is a joy it is life. It is, this is what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 14. He said, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. That's law stuff. He said, it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Man, I tell you what, my faith in Jesus Christ, the grace of God that flows through me, produces a joy and a life in me. I've never gotten over it again. And man, I just... It would be my, it would, as a pastor, I'd just love to see it happen in the lives of everybody. I think everybody ought to be excited about Jesus. I think everybody ought to be excited about church. Everybody ought to be excited about serving him. Listen, we don't have to beg people to serve Jesus when that grace is flowing through their heart. When your heart is established by grace, listen, the, your service is going to be secure because you keep going to the cross. That's where you serve. And you see Jesus who gave his life for you. And you know what? If Jesus gave himself for you, the, anything else you might give back is just it, is incomparable. It doesn't even compare. And that's the difference between a heart established by grace or the service of a heart established by grace and a heart established by by the law so beloved let's get outside let's go out to uh let's get out of the camp and let's let's go out to golgotha and let's find let's find what real life and joy is all about in jesus one final thing here so so a heart established by grace is secure in truth secure in service and watch this secure in eternity and i, I really love this look down at verse 14 the last verse we read here for we do not have an enduring city here. <laughs> Instead, we seek the one to come. We don't have an enduring city here. Now, key word there is enduring. We have a city here. 
And this world in which we live is a beautiful world. I'll grant you that. And, and I tell you what, I love Brazoria. I love our little city here. And, uh, and I love, uh, man, living here. And I love living on planet Earth and everything else like that. But, beloved, watch this. It's not an enduring city. It's temporary. It's passing away. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And, you know, the honest to God truth is that too many of us as believers, we get so caught up in this world and the things of this world. And we get our hands wrapped so tightly around the stuff that this world uh, gives us. And we spend our life, you know, uh, making money, money, money. And it's a very subtle thing. And I'm not saying the jobs are bad. Praise God that God gives us the ability to work and then gives us jobs to work that provide, so we can provide for our family. But, uh, you know, as we also saw yesterday, too many of us, um, we worship our work. We work at our play and we play at our worship, right? And, you know, when you're worshiping anything other than God, it, it becomes an idol for you. And, and for a lot of us, you know, making money or doing things or grabbing things, those things become idol for us. And our possessions become the most important thing in this world. We work for our toys. And uh, we worship those toys. And we store up treasure here on this earth. And every one of us, beloved, are rich compared to the, the vast majority of people in this world. You know, if you live in the United States of America, you have more wealth than 97% of the rest of the population on planet Earth today. We are all filthy rich, whether you realize it or not. And, you know, Jesus said, uh, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, right? There your heart will be also. And, you know, the problem is, is that we, we just give our heart <laughs> to this stuff, you know, without realizing that one day it's going to be ripped out of our hands. It's going to be taken away. I shared the gospel with a guy one time. In fact, one of the first persons I ever shared the gospel with as a, I wasn't really the pastor. I was preaching at a little place called Ryrie, Idaho. And uh, uh, I was still in the Navy, and uh, we just went out there and preached. And there was a lady there. There were three ladies in the church, and then me and my wife and our two kids. So there were seven guys, seven people in this church. Uh, predominantly Mormon, a uh, little town uh, about the size of Brazoria, maybe a little smaller. And uh, this one lady, her, her husband had cancer, and he was dying. And she asked me to come talk to him about Jesus. So I did. I went over and sat down and talked to him about Jesus. And he said, uh, well, preacher, I wasn't even a preacher then. He called me preacher. I thought that was pretty cool. He said, well, preacher, um, you know, I really believe that when we leave this world, we're going to look back, uh, you know, with, with, I can't remember his exact words, but we're really going to miss this world, you know, longing and everything. You know, we're just really, because this is a beautiful world and it's got all this good stuff and everything. And, and, and I said, well, sir, that's right. I, I, I don't disagree with that. <laughs> but we're still going to leave. It was about that time that I came to the realization that death rate is 100%, right? No matter how long you live, sooner or later you're going to die. And nothing in this world, you're going to take nothing with you. This world is literally passing away. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. It's going to be, it's going to be uh, uh, ripped out of our hands violently. You know, this past year I went and uh, uh, did a... Um, um, an archaeological dig at a place called Tal el Hammam, which, which is the biblical Sodom. It was destroyed in a fiery conflagration about 1,750 years before Christ. 
And uh, you remember the story, and you read about it in, uh, in Genesis 19. Lot had to really be drugged out of Sodom, kicking and screaming, right? He, he really didn't want to leave, but the angel, you know, for Abraham's sake, pulled him out with his, with his two daughters. You know, his wife didn't even make it out, right? And, uh, and their boyfriends or their husbands or whoever didn't come with them. He had, Lot was drugged out before the place was destroyed, right? Now, let me ask you this question. Did Lot gain or lose by getting drugged out of Sodom? I mean, everything that he had ever known was in Sodom. He loved Sodom. It was a beautiful city, man. They had all kinds of things going on. It was very metropolitan. They, you know, they were able to do all kinds of things, plays and whatnot. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Men go out to eat all the time. It was a beautiful world. He had to be drugged out, kicking and screaming. Did he gain or he lose by getting out of Sodom? I would think he gained, right, because it was destroyed. Beloved, this world is going to be destroyed. Even today, it is passing away. There is nothing in this world that we're going to take with us, that we're going to keep with us, that we're going to hang on uh, to when we leave this world. And so if this is what you're hoping in, God help you. <laughs> but there is another city. You know, back in um, the 11th chapter of, uh, of Hebrews, he's talking about Abraham, and it says that he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now, he's saved, and he says, I don't belong in this world. I'm just passing through. But I'm looking for a place. And the architect and builder is God. And here in chapter 13, it says, Child of God, when your heart is established by God's grace, that's you. This is not your home. That is, and it is safe and secure. This world is passing away. This world is going to end. It's going to be a fiery conflagration one day. Poof, it's going to be gone, but heaven is for real, and heaven is for eternity. And there's only one way to get there, and that's through Jesus Christ. And have a heart established by grace. And when your heart is established by grace, like, um, uh, and what does that mean? Like, like that old song we used to sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And what happens? The things of this earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. This is why. This is why uh, the, the, the scripture the writer of Hebrews in particular is trying to get us to look up. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the prize. He's the prize. And in him you find that heart, that new heart that God gives established in grace Truth is secure. Your service is secure. Your eternity is secure. Now, the only question that remains is what about you? Is your, what, is, what does your heart look like today? Still have that old stony, hardened heart, that, trying to keep the rules, trying to make God happy, however, whatever. That's what we're doing here. Or if you've been given a brand new heart, there's only one way. There's only one way to get that heart, and that's by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your what? heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Beloved, Jesus 
is the grace of God given for you. And he is life. And apart from Jesus, there's no life. Because if you don't have a new heart, you're dead, dead spiritually. Being alive means you've got a beating heart. Being alive spiritually means that Jesus lives within you. Have you ever given your life to Jesus? How do I do that, Brother Greg? Well, if I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I shall be saved. You know, it's just as easy as crying out to God and say, Oh, God, I'm a sinner. Would you have mercy on me and give me that new heart? I want to be yours. I want to give my life to you. That's, that's how you find a heart established by grace. Father, I pray today that you would help us, Lord, as we look to you by faith today, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And, Lord, I just pray that as your grace flows freely through this place today, God, that hearts be changed, turned, and made new. Lord, some of us, you're going to have to do some radical surgery. But, God, you're able to do it as the great physician. Would you do that today? Because today is the day of salvation, Lord. You, you told us that. And so, Father, I just pray that you'd take all these old stony hearts out and God give us new hearts. And, Father, for those of us who have these new hearts, that we might live it, God, that we might be found secure, established by grace, living securely in the truth as we serve with joy, as we look, look forward to eternity, uh, safe and secure in the arms of Jesus. Lord, that's my prayer today. In Jesus' name I pray.